0: Hello, I'm Paul Bainsfair and this is the IPA podcast. Uh, Each week I talk to people in and around the world of advertising and today I'm going to be talking to Tom Knox, the new IPA president. So here I am with Tom in the IPA's glorious building in Belgrave Square. Um, Tom, hello. Hi, Paul. So, um... You're the new president of the IPA. Well done, congratulations. Thank you very much. I, th- I thought it would be interesting for people to hear a little bit more about you. You, the man, and your background. So, I mean, the first question is, how did you get into advertising? Uh, well, I, I'm conscious that I'm following
1: Lord Dobbs, so I feel very uh, very humbled by that, and it's uh, my story is less interesting than his. Um, but he, I remember he talked about uh, a series of cock-ups, And um, I suppose mine is similarly not a direct route into advertising. So I grew up um, thinking that what I ought to do is be a lawyer because my father was a barrister and and subsequently a high court judge. And I was very keen on pleasing him. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I left uh, university in 1986 and I'd read English. And uh, I went to law school. Um, so you do the CPE, which is a sort of crammer law degree in Oh, uh, yeah. My, my son's just been through the same right. thing. So yeah. I was at City University here in London. And um, it, I bought all the books. I was ready to go. Um, this was in the autumn after I'd, I'd graduated. And I can remember vividly sitting, day two, sitting in the contract lecture. And Teddy Byrne, who was a law professor from Christchurch, Oxford, was giving this lecture. And I was feeling quite bored and not very engaged. And I looked round the room at these assorted, very brainy but slightly um, dull people. I felt uh, rather arrogantly. And uh, I just thought, I don't want to spend my life hanging out with these people. And um, and I did have an inkling of what I wanted to do, which will come on so a second. Uh, so. I knew that if I could get out of the course straight away, I could get my all the fees back and I could sell the books. And So I went and, and um, said to my dad, look, I don't think this is for me. And he was, as he always is, was very kind and understanding and uh, said, well, you must do what, what you want to do. And um, what I wanted to do, was inspired by the fact that I, I was great friends at university with um, uh, a girl who was called Jenny Abbott. And uh, it just so happened that she, she was the daughter of this chap who worked in advertising. And um, I had no idea how eminent David Abbott was. Had you met David? Well, I met him, and uh, well, well, we'd, we'd been friends for over a year before yeah. I actually met him. And, and uh, I remember her telling me that she, he worked as an advertising copywriter. And I assumed in migrants that that was something to do with the law, because of copyright. Um, so I really had no idea what he was or, or what he did, and I certainly had no idea that he was basically the most sort of lauded and um, famous practitioner in the land. Um, so I did get to meet him, and that inevitably made quite an impression on a, on a, young, on a young lad, and I thought, well this all looks rather nice, he's got himself wonderful home and beautiful cars and uh, uh, has a really really interesting job so I had this idea that advertising was what I wanted to do and I knew that I'd missed the milk round because I hadn't, you know, I'd gone into law and I knew that I'd get asked when I was trying to get jobs in advertising, well, you know, why did you want to be a lawyer? So I I got this, I was terribly pleased with myself with this formulation that I came up with, which was that law was all about trying to make words and language and sentences mean one specific thing and being very um, condensing and concise about Mm. the use of language and that uh, advertising and marketing and persuasion was entirely the opposite, where you want to explode meaning out of a very, um, you know, 30 seconds needs to mean lots and lots of things. And I thought that was really uh, that was really good. Um, and I still think it's got, you know, sort of vaguely makes sense. And, and I was just more interested. I was always really interested in language and words. Um, and I was more interested in the power of language to kind of persuade in that more, expansive way than, than, and the other thing was that I I was the idea was to be a lawyer to be a barrister and I would have been it's quite a small world and I would have always been the idiot son of my father who was very <laughs> eminent and I, I just think. I knew that I was never going to be as good at it as him and so I'm very grateful that I didn't go into
0: so it so you so you Piled your way into into an advertising agency. So Where did you start? I
1: started. I got given a job by Winston Fletcher, former president of this uh, the IPA. Um, uh, he's he just joined the two Delaney brothers, Greg and Barry, to make this agency, which was called Delaney Fletcher Delaney, which was in Covent Garden, and um, and Winston gave me a job, which was uh, fantastic. I can remember. I got, I've still got the letter. Um, and my starting salary was seven thousand pounds per annum, and I can remember having real angst because I'd done a kind of in between, you know, being unemployed in between sort of quitting law school and getting a job in advertising. I had to do something, and I got a job at Paul Smith. Uh, this is when Paul Smith was much smaller than it is now, and uh, and in those days, Paul interviewed everybody Uh, so I got interviewed by him and um, I was working at Paul Smith and because of that I had staff discounts so I did have one suit I can remember the suit to this day sadly I wouldn't be able to get into it but it, it was a double breasted this is 1987 double-breasted Prince of Wales Czech suit we all had one of uh, was, everybody bad about it. Yeah. and I uh, it, it's, it was the only suit I had though so I didn't I remember after day two the, you know, I turned up in the same suit you know for the second day uh, you know it was Greg and Barry inevitably started to tease me about you know what I was going to wear so I think I had to apply for a some sort of parental loan to get a few more, <laughs> a few more. <laughs> but that's 50. amazing that
0: you, you know, you had been in advertising literally two minutes, and you, you met David Abbott, Winston yeah. Fletcher. Yeah, the, yeah. Some of the Delaney's, if not all of them, yeah, uh, so they must have made quite an impression on you. Yeah, it was. It, I, I was incredibly
1: lucky, and um, it did make a huge impression on me. And and I, I think what was great, particularly Winston. I was really the first account person that they hired. And I went to all these meetings with him and he immediately gave me lots and lots of responsibility and um, would kind of just introduce me to clients as basically, you know, he's running your business kind of thing, which was just ridiculous, really. But I, so I learned entirely on the job. And I can remember various meetings where we came out afterwards where he would kind of very gently upbraid me for the various, very stupid things that I'd said. Um, but it was a very, um, quick and very kind of universal training because Winston would just talk about big issues and, um, strategic issues right away. So I kind of learned the practical stuff by messing it up, but the, the kind of bigger picture I I was exposed to sort of straight away and, um, I think that made me kind of insufferably um, precocious and, f- and, and um, but it was it was a great way to, to learn. Um, it was yeah I can fun.
0: imagine and that, um, I don't know if it happened exactly in this sequence but I know you worked for the London office of Triant Day yeah. um, afterwards, yeah. um, So and, and tell us a little bit about that because that, that seemed to me, looking at it from afar, um, obviously the long shadow of, of the Los Angeles office. May have obliterated anything you were doing in London, I don't know, but it never seemed to really. No, it didn't. I mean, Shire
1: Day at the time was, uh, you know, the the super cool, um, very innovative agency in the States, and Jay Shire was this absolute colossus of, of American advertising, and they had the landmark Frank Gehry binoculars building on Venice Beach, and they were inevitably associated with, with Apple. And um, and they traded on that famous 1984 commercial which Ridley Scott launched uh, the Apple Mac computer with, although legend has it that Ridley Scott didn't know what the commercial was actually for. <laughs> he was just working out a few ideas for Blaine Ryan. Um, and Jay wanted an office in London, but it didn't really ever... To, as you say, it didn't really take off, despite having loads of brilliant people in it. So there was uh, M.T. Rainey, there was Andy Law, there was David Abraham, there's my now partner Richard Warren, and loads of other, Dave Bonagwini, Narish Chandra, loads of really good people working there. Um, but I think we always realised that that how Henry, who were kind of flying in London at the time, were really the Shire Day of London. So they had adopted a lot of the working practices of Shire Day, things like um, tissue sessions, saying that that uh, we're going to um, expose early creative thinking to clients, and kind of, which were, which was quite radical in, in the eighties mm. London, where the the prevailing orthodoxy was you you know you would sell clients would come in and you would tell them what was good for them and here it was, and and Charlotte Day had this much more open culture of let's knock things around. I mean the actual tissue sessions themselves were highly choreographed and we'd worked out where we mm. wanted to get to, but it was very effective. But how Henry were doing it, and they were doing it much better. They'd
0: done a sort of new labour on your, on your positioning, yeah, yeah, yeah. and selling um, your clothes, yeah. And it never quite worked in London, but I,
1: it, was, it, it was very formative in terms of um, ways of working and, um, uh, and meeting lots of interesting people, not most of
0: all Richard. And then obviously, you started your own agency. Uh, yeah, well, there was there was a little jump. Then I I ended up going back to what
1: Delaney Fletcher Delaney had turned into um, when they, they'd hired Mark. They were rejoicing in the absurd name at that point of Delaney Fletcher Slaymaker Delaney Bozell. So they'd merged with, with an agency called Slatemaker Callie White. I love the fact that Greg and Barry insisted on the Delaney twice, which was... Uh, well, there's <laughs>
0: a good tradition with Sarches, uh, they're doing that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. well, you know, you, you,
1: can't, uh, you can't just have one Delaney. Anyway, um, they, they, they had hired Mark Lund uh, as to be their new uh, managing director. And um, they were looking for a head of account management. And I heard about this, and um, went and got interviewed by Mark, and uh, luckily got the job. Um, And so I joined there. This is ninety five, and um, that we I was there then for four or five years. And then they announced uh, the Americans, our parent company, Bozell, said, right, we're, which was into public, we're merging Bozell globally with FCB. So great news, you in London are going to become part of FCB. And we weren't very keen on that because we, things were going quite well, we were doing quite well. And we actually did have conveniently quite a bit of conflict with, uh, with the FCB London office. Um, so we we engineered buying ourselves out and, and set up uh, DLKW, um, which was uh, which was great Delaney, Mark Lund, me, Richard Warren, and, and two uh, creative director partners who were Malcolm Green and Gary Berts. And um, and then that that went surprisingly well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing. Co- I mean, I could speak a little bit from experience. Having your own agency, having work for other people, it's quite it's quite a white-knuckle ride, isn't it? I mean, but all, all at the same time, tremendously enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely underestimated the, the change that it would make. I mean, I, uh, I can remember really vividly having a kind of moment of, Awakening, realizing that how important clients were, uh, and that we didn't have anything other than our clients if we wanted to be in business. Because we did start with a couple of clients that were that came with us, which most of which we then lost. Um, and you know, realizing you can't pay the salaries of people and you can't do anything unless you've satisfied the clients um, was quite. Uh, I mean, it seems like an obvious thing to say, but it—I it, hadn't really fully digested it because I'd always been an employee, and mm. it just—well, stuff stuff happens. Um, so I—it was—it was brilliant fun. I mean, the, the main thing, I'm sure, this is your this is what everybody says, but if you do set up your own thing, whatever it's an advertising agency or I don't know, a shoe shop, you've got to—you've um, got to like and respect and trust the people you do it with, and. Um, uh, I was very lucky in my partners, who were all a very good and b very uh, very nice, um, and we. I think the chemistry between the 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 six of us um, was instrumental
0: in it being uh, a success. And in, and of course, the, not all of you, but some of you are still together, aren't you? In your current incarnation?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the of the D L K W, there are only, only two left still in the D agency, of me and Richard Warren. Um, and then we've got and there are other people that I've worked with for a very very long time so our strategy director Charlie Snow um, was at DLPW for a long time Um, and in fact I was even at school with Charlie so I think um, we've always been characterised by sort of being very warm in our personal relations and hopefully that translates to our relationships with our clients and the the kind of culture of the of the agency and how we treat I must
0: say I've heard Countless times I've heard clients say to me, they can, they can sense immediately when they go into an agency whether the founding partners are a good team yes, or a group of yeah. talented individuals. And on the whole, I think people do prefer that team, that team ethic. So it yeah, clearly work for you anyway. Yeah, and we, we just feel very strongly
1: that people do their best work when they're comfortable and relaxed and happy. And I've never really subscribed to the idea that out of enormous great renting conflict comes greatness. I mean, it, it can do, but I think that's a sort of happy accident, and it's just not very pleasant. Um, mm. So I don't, I don't like the, um, the confrontational model. And how,
0: I mean, how, again, I'm, our, our careers very similar, because I, like you, have my own agency, then I'd sold it to a, a big network. And then work for that network for a long time. In my case, it was TBWA. Mm-hmm. So, what's it like going back into that world, having owned your own place, even though you still have your name over the door? Obviously, you've been yes now part of the of the low network.
1: Yeah, we did two things. The first sale we did when we first sold um, DLKW was to Creston, which was Don Elgie's uh, marketing services group, which which still um, exists. Um, and that didn't that. Kind of didn't really change um, how things felt that much. You know, we were still pretty autonomous, and and we weren't part of a network. And actually, that was our frustration: was that we got to a point where we knew that we couldn't grow anymore in the UK. We were, I think, at one point we were sort of at our peak. We were number ten in the UK, and everybody above us was a network. So we wanted to be part of a network. So that's where tying up with Low uh, happened. So. We didn't sell to Lowe, We kind of bought into low. Um and it is very different because you're because uh, you have bosses again. Um, and uh, luckily, we have very you know very very benevolent bosses. And Michael Wall was a big reason why we did the uh, Lowe deal because we'd known and been rivals with Michael when he was uh, Fallon, um, and we really liked him and thought he was great and and. They wanted us to um, reinvigorate uh, Lowe in London, which um, had had quite a tough time having been, you know, lauded as, as a great agency. It had um, certainly kind of lost a lot of its keynote clients, like the Stellas and the Tescos. Um, and so we, we were brought in to try and reinvigorate that, kind of bring some stability because they had a lot of change. Um, and it's it's actually worked out really well, but it is completely different, and I think you have to accept that nothing will ever be quite the same as starting something yourself, building it up, and um, and that the, all of the the kind of feeling that comes with that is is not the same as being part of. It's a public group, Mm. but it's different. I mean, you know, and you can't, if you're nostalgic about that, I think you kind of got to shut up and either go and do another startup or or kind of embrace the new. Yeah, no, I agree.
0: So, um, can we talk about the IPA now? You're the president. I, yes, so you, I am. You're you're very um, well well covered and, and very well received. Inaugural um, uh, speech was was very recently. It's it's kind of captioned here for good. Advertising here for good. Can you can you give me a sort of little praise of what what drove you to that agenda and, and why you think it's time for us to be thinking in, in those terms? Yeah, so I think the the backstory, which I
1: didn't have time to to explain in the speech, was, um, I suppose, the influence of David Abbott and um, why I um, have stayed in advertising for as long as I have is this belief that um, advertising actually can be a force for good, both um, economically, which IPA has obviously spent a lot of time making the, the case for the economic contribution of advertising, but I think also... Um, it's good for consumers, it's good for society as a whole and, and can be very good for the people who work in it. And I thought that there were um, two things that were kind of leading to a, a groundswell of opinion and I've been pleased to see lots of people piling in on the back of my agenda kind of going, yes, we, we, we believe this. Um, I think there is this groundswell that says that um, brands and companies need to uh, think about how they behave because people make choices uh, on the basis of of brands values as well as their functional benefits Um, and also when you look at how people make their decisions about where they want to work and what kind of industry they want to work in, they are idealistic and they're driven by values so I thought if you kind of put those two things together, um, the advertising industry as a whole needs to talk more about how it's a force for good because that will um, give us more influence in a positive way with our clients and um, our ability to influence their agenda and to do more powerful communications for them, and, but it will also make the whole industry more attractive to the next generation of, of millennials and post-millennials who, um, as I say, are values-driven. So that was kind of where it came from. And then they got the snappy headline It was kindly given to me by Sarah Golding. Um, and, you know, it's saying that if we are here for good, then we will um, have a, uh, a long-term future as an industry.
0: Brilliant. And I, I must say, as I mentioned just now, the, the very positive nature of the feedback has, has been tremendously encouraging for all of us here. Um, and I think in the wake of... Um, when We just seen a very surprising, I think, given the, the polls, result in the general election. Um, there's also this whole job I think we need to do on, on a lot of politicians who still seem to want to reach for the regulate advertising. It's advertising for when there are issues in society that maybe they feel uncomfortable about. So I think anything we can do to help them see the good work that we do, that that can only be a good thing, would you agree with
1: that? Uh, Yeah, and I think clearly self-regulation has worked and has been shown to work but I think if we can be more on the front foot about uh, advertising's positive contribution, one of the things that um, I always think is a bit frustrating is that people talk about government advertising as if it's done by the government and doesn't involve the advertising industry and when you look at it there's a huge amount of Work that the advertising industry does that's around positive behaviour change, um, things like this girl can, uh, you know, drink driving, the the way in which attitudes to drink driving have been changed over many years by really consistent advertising, road safety, stroke awareness, you know, um, change for life, you name it, there's loads and loads of work that was done by advertising agencies, members of the IPA, um, on behalf of government, which have made a really positive contribution to society as a whole. Um, so I think getting on the front foot about that has got to be a, a good thing.
0: And you've got a few um, ideas already, haven't you, that you want to implement. The one that I've, I think there was a sharp intake of breath around uh, the, the, the hotel um, when you said you were going to have, with campaign, a league table showing how well agencies were doing on diversity. That. Well, that, that could be quite interesting reading.
1: Yeah, and I think another thing about advertising is it's quite often seen, you know, we have these sort of madmen cliches and we're seen as a very reactionary, not very progressive employer, and it's, it's actually not true. We are, um, whilst the representation of women and, um, and you know, ethnic diversity isn't where we want it to be. It's actually an awful lot better than many other um, similar industries or professions. And, um, you know, the the cliche that all advertising people are terribly right wing and selfish is just not true. Um, And I think we, uh, being more open and transparent about how we're doing will... Uh, cast us in a better light, but also, obviously, it will have an element of uh, encouraging people. And I, I like the lead table idea because uh, I'm sure uh, Rory Sutherland would tell you that uh, the behavioural economics of it would suggest that no one wants to be at the bottom of that lead table and we all want to be at the top of it. So I think it will hopefully drive behaviour change. It's not necessarily... That's not... The, the, the motivation is to, to show people how we're doing and, and, and encourage people to do to do better and I think we have got challenges in, in both
0: gender equality and, and diversity. So um, you can only ask this one way given that you're talking to me, are you looking forward to the next two years of getting your teeth stuck into your new job as the president? It,
1: completely yeah, all, all the ex-presidents told me it was a uh... Incredibly good fun, and once you got the the horror of the uh, of the inaugural speech over with, which I'm happy to say I now have, um, which was uh, very very um, stressful. Um, once you've done that, I think it's a question of kind of getting the thing up and running, and, and what I've been really encouraged by is how many people want to get involved and, and um, make a contribution. So I'm really looking forward to it and um, looking forward to working with all your great team at the IPA.
0: We're getting towards the end of our allotted time. So um, I'd like to ask you um, three questions to end with, um, which are intended for to give us all a little bit more information about you, I suppose, and the, the first one is, what would you say the the best campaign, preferably one you've worked on, is, and and, and why would you why would you choose it?
1: Well, uh, you, I'd, I hadn't realised before this question was asked that it had to be one I'd worked it, but I, I'm I'm going to choose one that is uh, will be super polarising. Um, but it was a campaign that I worked on for a long time and was very defining. The reason I'm choosing it, it was it was very defining for for D L K W and it was and it's Halifax and the the infamous uh, Star for Stars campaign. I remember when ITV was celebrating their fiftieth um, birthday, they had uh, you know an iconic campaign from each of their fifty years, and Howard from the Halifax was the one they chose for. I guess it would have been about two thousand and one. And um, the thing about that campaign was, it was unbelievably cut through. It changed bank advertising, certainly, for good. It woke up the whole sector. Um, and uh, it really surfed the wave of zeitgeist of talent. show. It was the beginning of um, you know, Britain's Got Talent and, and all of those kinds yeah. of programs. And the idea of taking an ordinary member of staff and turning them into a, into a pop star in a very glossy pop video was um, was bold, and they really committed to it. The whole organisation, and we had an amazing time. I mean, I, I travelled the world making these really over the top commercials, and I, I think we loved it because they were incredibly effective. We were very proud to get a gold IPA effectiveness award. Should have won the grand prix really, um, and uh, and Adland didn't really like it, and I think that also define the agency stance a bit we were a bit kind of well we don't care we were a little bit mill war it was we do stuff that taxi drivers and real people like the man on the omnibus and yeah yeah, and if the polo um uh, denizens of soho don't like it well you know tough
0: so the next question is um if you had to recommend one book which which would you choose
1: well, uh, being an, an English graduate, this was I liked this question. And um, my favourite novel, and I think still the only book that I've actually read sort of cover to cover three times, is Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Which, um, as a recommendation, is slightly challenging because it's extremely long. Um, it has some kind of argument to being the first novel in the English, I mean, proper novels. And it's um, an absolute rollicking tale. Of, have you read it? I've seen, my, oh, I've seen the film. I've seen the film. You know what happens. Yeah. Day, but you should read the book. It's. I mean, it, it's. It's just got everything, including a happy ending, and um, I don't think that's giving anything away much. And it's. Uh, it's a wonderfully English and generous book, you know, and and it's. Uh, it, it just makes you laugh practically on every page.
0: I will. I will read it. That's a great recommendation. And then the last question is. Who's your hero? Who's your hero, dead or alive? Who who would you single out? Well, my hero is
1: sadly dead. Re- very recently died, um, and it is David Abbott um, for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, he was an absolute advertising genius. Uh, he was. It was a bit like that joke about um, Paul McCartney being the best drummer. You know, Ringo not being the best drummer in the world, not even in the Beatles. I mean, Paul, David was a brilliant account man, a brilliant planner and a brilliant copywriter. So he could kind of do it all on his own, which is very unusual. Um, he wrote lots of great ads. Um, he built a wonderful agency that um, stood for doing things in the right way. And, and he was an incredibly charismatic person who was always very, very kind. Certainly to me, um, and very encouraging, and um, uh, I, I miss him, and uh, I would not have gone into advertising if it wasn't
0: for him, so um, he,
1: uh, he's, my, he's my advertising hero.
0: He, he, uh, he reminds me of that. I can't remember who said this, but someone said of someone, he's not the best at what he does. He's the only one that does <laughs> what he does, You know, and he was sort of in that category, wasn't he? Yeah, the degree to which he was
1: better than everybody else was... Exponential. So it's a bit like Messi at the moment. He was just on another I had
0: um, I had the great pleasure of working with Paul Arden for many years, who started out, I can't remember, were there at Benson's or where, where did um, David Abbott start? Uh, it doesn't really matter, know. but they were in the same agency and, it, and they were obviously, this was many years ago, um, and Paul never really forgave David because in those days, copywriters and art directors didn't work together. The copywriters all wore suits and had nice offices mm. and secretaries, and the art directors were effectively in the studio, and they would the, the ideas would be passed down to them mm. to finish up. And Paul was one of the <laughs> you know scribblers in the in the studio, so he never could quite come to terms with that when he became right, yeah, famous if you like. Well, look, Tom, it's been fantastic talking to you. Great to hear about your agenda and a little bit more about about you. Um, Good luck with it, and I'm going to enjoy um, making it come alive with you. It's been a pleasure, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Tom Knox. Next week, I'm going to be talking to James Murphy, who is one of the founding partners of Adam and Eve, DDB, and has recently been announced as the new chairman of the Advertising Association. This has been Paul Baines Fair, and this has been the IPA podcast.